the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Liliana Vasquez is an Emmy-winning host, TV personality, style expert, and author. She is a host of Daily Pop on E! And she joins us today to share and discuss her career trajectory and her own personal journey with infertility and how she is educating others on this growing struggle within our Latinx community. Liliana hopes that her story will help others feel less alone. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Girls Gone Boss. I'm Gabby, hanging out with my girl. Alex, how are you, Gabby? I'm great. I'm excited. I always get pumped when we have a new episode, so I'm ready. I love seeing your face. I wish I could see you in person. I know. We were going to do it, but thanks to Delta, we're going to have to stop. A little pause, yes. A little pause, but nothing that we can't get through. I mean, we have a whole pandemic of Zoom, so we're going to continue. And what's exciting is that because of it, we can talk to women all over the States, the world. And today we have a special guest, someone that we both look up to, someone that's making noise, someone that is really trailblazing, especially representing for us Latina on a mainstream level. So welcome Liliana Vasquez. Thank you guys. I'm so excited to be here with you to do this. I'm such a fan of the podcast and excited to chat to the two, with the two of you. We're excited to have you. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to all of our listeners? Tell them a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So um, my name's Liliana Vasquez. Um, I am a correspondent for E. Um, so I formerly hosted E! News and Pop of the Morning out of New York, but now I'm here in LA um, working for different shows on the network. Um, I've been in the entertainment business now for, oh my gosh, going on like 12 years. Um, my career started in TV, um, in local news on channel 10 in Philadelphia. So shout out to any of your Philly listeners. Um, and then progressed. I got to New York, um, worked in local there. And then I really started my career on NBC at the Today Show. Um, so it's been a crazy 12 years. It has been hard and difficult. And it's funny when I say it, it's like, oh yeah, I did this. And then I did this. It's, uh, it totally completely leaves out all the struggle. Um, it makes it sound like it's just so easy to be like, oh, I worked in Philly and then I went to the Today Show and then I went to Access and now I'm at E. It's all the in-between stuff that makes the journey worth it. It's just that like, I find when you give your like short resume of stuff, you like skip over that. Um, but we can get into that stuff later. So tell us actually how it is that you actually got your big break or what you felt was your big break and you finally had made it. Totally. Um, so I always tell this story in conjunction with the big break that I didn't get that I thought was going to be the career ending loss of my life. Um, I was young. And when you're young and you're not confident and you can't see clearly and you don't really have a vision and you don't really have, I don't know, I guess it's really the confidence to know that like everything is short lived and it's not this long term impact of things. Um, so I'll tell them in tandem. So when I had moved to Philadelphia, um, I had gotten engaged, gotten married. And listen, Philly is not like the broadcast capital of the world by any means. We've got great soft pretzels. We've got amazing sports teams. And we have amazing communities in Philadelphia. But it is not like the media capital of the world. And um, one company that exists in Philadelphia, right outside Philadelphia, is QVC. And it was one of the only opportunities that I had to really be in television. So I auditioned and I got very, very far. 
And at the end, I ended up not getting the job. And it was soul crushing. When I tell you, I called my husband and I said to him, oh my God, this is it. It's over. I'm never going to work in TV again. They don't want me. This is my dream job. Literally, I said, this is my dream job. This is the best opportunity I'm ever going to get. And he was like, you know, Liliana, I think you need to come from abundance here, not from scarcity. I think you are so much bigger than this opportunity. I think that what you're not seeing is all of the potential they're missing out on, which we often don't see in ourselves. And what he said to me was, you need to come from abundance. Don't come from scarcity. Sure, you didn't get it. Does that hurt? Does that sting? Yes. But you're going to go on to do such bigger things that you're not even going to remember this opportunity. And I was like, no, my career is over. I'm never going to work in TV again. That was in 2009. (laughs) So here we are in 2021. And from that opportunity, obviously, I had what I think was the biggest opportunity that I've had in my career thus far was to be a contributor on NBC's Today Show. Um, if you are a fan of television news, if you are a fan of network news um, and just a TV brand that has incredible legacy and history, to me, it's always been the Today Show. And so I was living in Philadelphia and I kept sending email after email, pitching myself as a style expert to go on the Today Show. They ghosted me for, I don't know, probably 18 months, never heard anything. Nobody responded to my email. And a friend of mine who was a publicist at the time actually had a really good relationship with the producer there. And she said, listen, they're looking for somebody to come on and do like a rainy day style segment um, on Kathy Lee and Hoda. I pitched you, no guarantees, but I love you. I think you're so good. I've seen you on doing local. I've seen you on Nate Berkus. Let's just hope they write back. They wrote back. Uh, and I went on the show on a Tuesday with Hoda and uh, Kathy Lee. This was a while ago. And I was invited back immediately to come back on that Friday. And there began a seven-year-long relationship with, I think, is one of the most storied brands in television history. I got to contribute as a style expert. I was then hired um, as a formal contributor. And then I got to cover every kind of story I could dream of. Um, Women's interest stories, entrepreneurship stories, health, wellness, fitness, fashion, the Oscars, the Golden Globes. Um, So it's incredible that that all came after I thought my career had ended when QVC chose not to hire me as a host on their network. Um, So to me, that was the biggest break, you know, and it's important to acknowledge it because You have to remember, I was pitching myself for almost two years, no response. So for people that are like, oh, I've been trying for three months and I've been trying for six months. I'm like, girl, they ghosted me for a year and a half. Like you just have to stay on your path. You've got to stay persistent and you have to understand that a no or even a no answer does not end your desire, does not end your journey to have what it is that you ultimately want career wise. I also want to mention it's important that you said that because while you were in the waiting period or like, you know, after being ghosted, you move on. But were you also working on your blogs and, and all that yes. stuff? Because I yes. think that was also pivotal in getting the next, what Absolutely. is your break, right? Absolutely. And, you know, people place so much emphasis on these really big opportunities, but it is the series of smaller opportunities that set you up for success and get you ready for bigger opportunities. And what's happened now, I think, and luckily this was happening for me back in like 2010 before Instagram, before like Insta life is what I call it, because 
you see people have overnight success and you think that if it doesn't happen to you, then it's never going to happen. And I think we've lost the value of small victories and only place value on these really huge opportunities that you can post and share. Like I was on the cover of this and I got to host the Oscars, but you got to put in the work. So those 18 months when the Today Show was saying no to me, I didn't sit at home just waiting for them to say no. Girl, I was driving from Philly to Boston, from Philly to Baltimore, to Virginia, to Virginia Beach, doing all kinds of local segments, getting myself ready for what ultimately would be like my big game day. So that when I did get the yes from the Today Show, which I knew I would because no one was doing fashion the way I was doing fashion. No one was speaking to accessibility in fashion the way I was speaking to it. So I knew it wasn't going to be a no forever. It was just a matter of time. But in that time, I was honing my craft. I was building my blog. I was styling women. I was really listening to what it is they wanted to hear from an expert, not like the magazine version, which is like all of these, like nothing against magazine editors back in the day, but like, y'all, they just like didn't come from where I came from. Like I grew up on the North side of Fort Worth and we shopped at Ross and TJ Maxx. Like to me, that was the reality of the women around me. That's the reality of my family, my cousins, my friends. And so, yes, while it's wonderful that these editors got to go to Paris Fashion Week, your mom or like my aunt or my cousin that, you know, is spending $200 a month on clothes for the entire family does not want to hear about some like $3,000 trench coat that they saw on the runway. So you've got to like take those small opportunities to get better, build your resume, hone your craft and really build that confidence to be on television and present so that when you do get that one opportunity, you not only like kill it, but you kill it and they ask you back. Did you always know you wanted to be on television and Ooh. or was it something that kind of came later yeah. and you kind of found? No, I, 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 I'm not built like that. I didn't have like TV dreams or goals. I always say like, I've always considered myself um, a storyteller. Like my mom tells me that like, even when I was like in kindergarten, I would come home and like tell her these stories. And she never knew like if they were real or if they were like in my imagination. Um, and so I've always had, I think a passion um, for storytelling. And I pursued that passion through high school. Um, I like edited our yearbook, I edited our newspaper. Um, in college, I took the opportunity to build out our radio station. We got an incredible grant. Nobody wanted to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. Um, I wrote for the paper there. Um, I worked at NPR. So for me, it's been more about the opportunity to tell stories, less about the opportunity to be on TV. And I think that's also really important because I think it helps you align what your objectives are. If your goal is just to be on television, I'm not sure that that's enough to satiate and inspire you in that grind, right? Because it's a grind. For me, it was like, I want to tell cool stories. I want people to turn the TV on and be like, wait, what is she talking about? So you've got to think beyond like, what is, you, you've got to think beyond what is this serving for me? Like, okay, great. You want to be on TV, but like, how are you in service to other people? How are you in service to the audience? How are you in service to your community? Like, those are the things that are going to allow you to find success, not just I want to be on TV or I want a million followers, right? It's, you've got to flip that question and it's not easy to do. And listen, we're all self, we're humans. We're selfish. That's the way we think. We think about ourselves first. Well, maybe not right now. I don't think about myself right now. I think about my baby first, but um, I hear that's temporary and eventually I will go back to normal. Um, but you, you really have to think about service of others in whatever you're doing. So I never was like, I want to be on TV. Now, did I have goals to do certain things on television? Absolutely. I wanted to host the Oscars pre-show. I wanted to host the Golden Globes pre-show. 
But that wasn't about me being on TV. That was like, why do I want to do that? Right. So you got to get to those questions that you have to be able to really answer for yourself. I love that. I, I actually read something the other day and I, I ended up screenshotting it because I it just resonated with me so much and I kind of want to share it. It was yeah. um, an ask me anything question in, in Instagram and somebody asked this person, what do you tell yourself when the universe seems to keep telling you no? And the answer was the universe isn't telling you no, it's redirecting you to something better. So 100%. for those listening, that's very valuable. Um, it's beyond valuable it's 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 hard but by the way i think that it's but it's so hard to hear the nose and i do think that it requires like a mental and emotional fortitude that you have to build for yourself because the world will always tell you no like at every at every opportunity so you have to also work on yourself in that process to not just draw your value from other outside things right like you have to find that value in yourself and that's what i was doing i was like I'm so good at this. Like they're missing out on me by telling me no, but that takes work. You know, like that's why I always talk about mental health being so important. Like get that shit out, like talk to somebody, work through it, find out what's the cause, because usually it's not about that person telling you no, it's not about that external negativity or that external block. It's something that's happening in you that needs to be validated externally that you need to validate for yourself. What's the best career advice that you've received that you, we can, you can share with those that are wanting to get into the industry? Um, do not be afraid to ask and to ask boldly. Um, one of my mentors, um, she actually calls herself my rabbi. I'm not Jewish, but she's Jewish. And she said, you know, I've always thought that like rabbis like help people like find their path and find their way. And she's my rabbi. She's my old executive producer um, at a show in New York. She was the one who started Kathy Lee and Hoda. Um, Her name's Amy Rosenblum. And I remember one day I was very upset with her because she put a uh, I was working on a show in New York and she let one of our other correspondents fill in as the host of that show when our real host was out sick. And I had been there longer. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I've been here longer. I commute from Philly to New York four times a week to do this job. Nobody is more dedicated to this show than I am. And you let her fill in the one time that our host was out. And I was furious. I walked into her office to express that. And she goes, Liliana, have you ever told me that you wanted to fill in? And I was like, oh. And I stopped and I went, oh shit. I had told myself that so many times, but I had never expressed that want to my boss. I had never said to her, hey, I wanna fill in. I can do this job. I had never said it to her. And I thought, oh my God. She goes, let me tell you that in this industry, no one is ever going to give you something that you don't ask for. So you need to ask. They might say no. Again, universe will tell you no at every turn. She's like, but no one is ever going to give you something you don't ask for. And that completely changed the trajectory of my career. I was never afraid to ask. Sometimes people laughed at me and that's cool. You can laugh, but I'm still going to ask. And that's why I said not just ask, but ask boldly. I completely agree. I think that is great advice. And I also want to uh, ask you, how do you feel by like representing Latinas? I mean, I feel like uh, you must have gotten so much love by like a lot of people like seeing rep- being or feeling represented on television, especially like in such in such an amazing network. I mean, 
I've always wanted to be like one of those hosts. And E has always been like everyone's dream. So Girl, same. Same. <laughs> so that feeling and also that that feeling of like representing a whole community is like must be so amazing. It's amazing. You know, I, I have to say, like, you know, I grew up English is my second language. I grew up on the north side of Fort Worth. Um, there was one person on TV that even remotely sounded Latino. Her name is Gloria Campos. Um, she was the anchor on the nightly news um, on ABC. And she was like a unicorn to me. I was like, what? This woman? She looks like my family and she's on TV. Um, but that is one person. And I thought, oh, well, like she won the lottery. That's not going to happen to me. And it's meant the world to me. You know, I always say, like, when I got the job as the first Latinx host of E! News, I celebrated for sure. But I will celebrate even bigger when they hire the next one, because then you know that you actually made a difference. Then you know that you actually changed the network and you changed the decision maker and you changed the process from the inside out. So, yes, me getting that job was a huge victory. I have never felt prouder to have a job, to be offered that role. But trust me, the celebration will be even bigger when I see the next young man or the next young woman who has a name like Liliana Vasquez, who is first generation, who, I mean, I would kill for anyone to follow in my footsteps that, you know, represents it, like to represent our community. And that to me is the bigger victory because yes, it's a big deal that I blew open that door, but it's an even bigger deal when somebody gets to do it again. Absolutely. And just by you being there, it gives a lot of women coming up like I could do it. I Like it's no longer like a foreign thing. It's no longer like, no, I have to stick to something smaller. Like if you could do it, like you're opening up that dream to somebody else. So I really commend you for that. And and if it wasn't for your drive and your determination, like, you know, there wouldn't have that that door wouldn't have opened. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's like we want to see our communities represented in media, whether that is on E! or on the Today Show. And we are so, specifically our Latinx community is so underrepresented. And when you look at the numbers and you look at the growth rate and you look at the consumer buying power of our community, you have to ask yourself, why aren't we more visible, right? Why are we invisible when it comes to media? And the sad truth is because the decision makers and the executives that sit in those rooms that make hiring decisions don't represent our community. So not only is it just like a, there's not enough of us saying, hey, I can do this, but there's not enough of us in power in decision making roles to put somebody like me or to put somebody like my cousin in a role like this. So it, it's got to be like a 360 shift that happens in this business. And I, I see I see seeds of change, um, but, you know, not enough. So we just got to keep pushing and, and, and trying and being our authentic selves. And, and I think people will recognize that. And it's a slow and steady fight, uh, but we're in it for the long run, you know? We're in it. And I also think it's about breaking those stereotypes, too, of what a Latina is or a Latino is or Latinx is. Um, because we're all different. Like, look at us. All three of us are Latinas living in the U.S., totally different, you know, but we all are the same at the same time, you know what I mean? And we probably like to consume the, th the same things. There's different ones some people want to consume in Spanish. i rather consume in English. Like, yeah. all, there's, like, a, so many diversity, you know, so much diversity. I know. I always think it's so funny. Like, when we were last year, I pitched a Hispanic Heritage Month special to E. And I remember sitting in the meeting, I was the only Latina in the meeting and the, it was a Zoom and they were suggesting all this stuff. And I remember being like, 
you know we like the same shit that you like. Like it's not, like what, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> you know, like you wanted me to like dress like Charo. Like what what are you talking about? Like we like Coldplay too. You know what yeah. I, it's like, but I also like Mark Anthony. Like it's it, it, there's such it, there's such an an awareness of like who we are as a demographic what speaks to us, how we want to be spoken to. There's so much education that is missing because we like the same thing that general market people like. Like I say this all the time when I'm in panels with brands, I'm like, do you need to speak to us a little differently? Sure. Sometimes, not all of the time. And it's like, it's very nuanced, right? It's understanding those small details. It's not like completely changing and rebranding and like bringing out all these like terrible stereotypes. Like, no, that's, not this generation, maybe not even my mom, maybe my grandma or something. Um, but no, like all of us, like whether you're first generation, second generation, third generation, like you speak to us like you speak to everybody else. But again, take the time to understand the nuance and the difference between speaking to a Chicana from California and a Tejana from Houston or Corpus Christi and, you know, someone who's Peruvian living in Miami. Like if you acknowledge that and you let us feel heard and represented in those nuances, Girl, we're like loyal for life. We're the best kind of customer you could ever want. We're the best viewer you want for your show. So it's like you got to get away from the tropes and the stereotypes and speak yes. authentically. Yes, and we will share with our entire family. Like, oh my I, god, <laughs> and we have a lot of people in our families because we adopt everybody, right? It's like you might only have one brother, but you've got like ten sisters. Like, it's you know, we're we, we roll deep. <laughs> We all have so 30 deep. cousins, yes. Yes. I don't even know which ones are real in blood. I just know they're all my cousins. That's so true. Um, Liliana, I wanna first I wanna congratulate you on Baby Santi. Um, I think that all of our all of your followers were like instantly fell in love when you posted the pic the, the birth announcement. So congratulations. I know that it's been a huge struggle <clears throat> for you and and your husband. And um this is this episode is now gonna. I I, I want to use this time to really focus on IVF and the struggles because it's so taboo. Um, yeah. Just to share a little bit because this is actually the first time that I'm gonna openly talk about it, and I've been waiting like a really long time to like um, feel comfortable speaking about it. I have the exact same story that you do, but um, I just really want to talk to you about your story. And um, about that day, that initial visit when you went to the gynecologist and what that meant and how that felt when you found out. Well, first of all, I just want to say to you, like, it takes time, I think, to to be able to share that. And people always ask me, like, why did it take you so like, there's no the only right time is right now, right, to share that. And I also think that so many people focus on pregnancy and how you get pregnant. And I always say like, anybody can get pregnant, right? Like it, 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 the focus is on the decision for you to be a mother and how you mother and how you raise that child and how you take care of that child and how you got there. Nobody cared. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there was, I felt so much pressure, like even just having IVF treatments or even considering adoption. And I always said to people, my goal is not to be pregnant. My goal is to be a parent. Okay. That is the decision that my husband and I made. And it didn't happen immediately. Um, it happened after somebody told me, they said, 
you need to surrender, surrender to what it is that you actually, what you desire and what you want. What is it that you desire? I said, I desire to be a parent. I want to be a mom. And you can find your way there so many different ways. And I think that's what's so important about this conversation is that there are so many paths to that. And I applaud you so much um, for sharing that because we don't talk about that enough and we're not open about it. And again, like you now have a beautiful baby and you have the rest of your life to spend with this beautiful child who is exactly who he is. It a boy or a girl? It's a girl. It's a girl. Yeah. So now you get to mother this beautiful yeah. daughter for the rest of your life and share like in the beauty of that. Yeah. And I just think it's just so important that people understand like there's no one path to motherhood or parenthood. It's like however it comes to you is exactly how God intended this child to be in your life. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Um I don't even know what you asked me because I'm just so happy for you. <laughs> I wanted <Me> to. <laughs> I know Gabby's actually been like one of the only people that I really opened up to through the entire process because recording the podcast, sometimes I was not doing that great. You know, I have things that you just go through emotionally. Um, sometimes like it's debilitating and you just can't go on or you feel that way. But then a new day comes and you're like, okay, I got to get through this. So in short, the question was to kind of share with our listeners your entire um, trajectory into in, into what happened that initial first visit to the doctor where you found out that you really yeah. didn't have that many eggs. Well, you know, I think for me, it happened in 2015. Um, it was, I think, one of the best career years I had ever had. Um, not only was I working as a correspondent on the Today Show, but Meredith Vieira had hired me to sit on her panel for her talk show. And so I was juggling two network shows um, that launched in the fall that year. And so in uh, the fall of 2015, I went in for my normal routine, yearly exam, pap smear, all that good stuff. And I happened to have an incredible physician. Um, and she said to me, I know that, you know, now's not the right time, but do you ever want to have kids? I said, yeah, of course, like down the road, but we're not trying right now. She's like, okay, well, you're 35. Let me just run this simple blood test on you. It'll take a five extra minutes. No big deal. Just something really easy. I was like, okay, fine. So she ran the test. It's called AMH. It stands for anti-malarian hormone. And it's not an indicator of how good your eggs are. It's just an indicator of your egg reserve. And like you, when the test came back, um, it was basically virtually undetectable. And she actually thought it was a mistake. Um, but that's the thing about infertility. You cannot see infertility. There's no cues to infertility. Some people think it's connected to different things. I always say it's invisible. You can't see it. Um, and it's not related to your mom, your sister, your cousin. They could all have popping out babies mm -hmm. every year. It doesn't matter. It's completely individual. Um, and so she ran the test again, came back again. It was like 0 0.002. Um, and those levels are usually in line with a woman who is either premenopausal or a, has just started menopause. And that basically means that is the end of your baby making life right. as a woman. And so when that came back, she said, if you do want to have children, I advise you to immediately see a specialist. And I thought, I'm not ready for this. I'm not even trying to have a baby at 35. I'm working. Mm. And then, of course, all of the guilt comes, which is, wait a second did I do this to us because I've been so focused on my career and I've been so focused on my marriage and my relationship and traveling and living my life? Did I just cause us to lose what I think is one of the biggest goals we had as a couple, which is to start a family. So I lived with like the shame and the guilt on top of all of the shame and the guilt and the isolation from going through IVF, going to doctor's appointments, not really understanding by the way, what the hell was going on because I had never talked about this with my girlfriends. We talk about everything. Like we would talk about like 
I was married at the time, but a lot of my friends were like dating. I mean, we talked about like the dirty stuff all the time at brunch. Nobody ever talked about infertility, right? And certainly not in my family. We never talked about it. And so that year from 2015, the fall of 2015 to the fall of 2016, I think was one of the loneliest um, years of my life because I was like, my body's betraying me. I cannot do what I'm fundamentally built to do as a woman, which is get pregnant and have a baby. And culturally, like, especially when you're Latina, like, how are you not fertile? Like, how are you not having a baby? And by the way, I got all kinds of looks leading up to that because I did focus on career. I went away to college. I lived in Philadelphia. I lived in New York. So I was already battling all of this negativity from my family because I was not doing things the traditional way. Well, now I'm married and I can't even have kids. Shit. Like, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? Um, and so I had in that journey, I had I saw three different specialists, I think, though some of the best in the country. And at every turn, I just couldn't get pregnant. You know what I mean? Um, every time we went in to do a round of IVF, we would start with your normal stimulus, like stimulus drugs. I would do all of the shots and then I would end up with like two eggs to for my retrieval. And when you look at the cost of a retrieval, you're looking at like, oh, I'm going to spend like 18K to 25K to pull out two eggs. And IVF is a numbers game. And I always say people think that IVF is some like magical solution to having a baby. Oh my God. It is like a tool and it is a tool that is not guaranteed. Uh, it is an expensive roll of the dice and you just never know. And I rolled those dice a million times trying to get pregnant and I'm so fortunate. And I always say, I acknowledge my privilege in not only being able to see the best of the best when it came to physicians, but to be able to afford this help, right? A lot of people can't afford this. Um, and it was really hard. You know, my body just wouldn't do what it was fundamentally supposed to do. Looking back on it, um, I was able to finally, we finally got an embryo during COVID. I think that I had to stop to actually make this happen. I think that I wanted to have a baby. I knew I wanted to get pregnant, but I wouldn't stop. I remember I did a transfer. I was on a plane to LA 24 hours later. Um, so while I was like, yes, I want to get pregnant. I want to have a baby. I wasn't giving myself the space. And I think I was, I don't know. I think I was scared of losing myself. I think I was scared of losing my career. I think I was scared of like what it would mean. And it wasn't until COVID where I finally had a pause to say, oh shit, like my time really is running out. I'm turning 41. Like I'm, you know, like I'm going to be in my forties. Um, and I think that pause is what allowed my body to finally embrace this baby. And I think mentally and emotionally, I finally got to a place where I was like, no, this is what I want for myself. Um, but it was really hard. I mean, it was years, it was thousands of injections. It was a million retrievals. I mean, it never, it never worked. You know, we would transfer no pregnancy. We would have to cancel an IVF cycle because I had two eggs to retrieve. And the reason that people are like two eggs, that's great. No, it's not great. Most people are getting in the teens, right? They're retrieving 15 to 30 eggs. Mm -hmm. And when you're retrieving two, when you look at like between freezing and testing the eggs, you're not going to end up with a viable embryo. It's a numbers game. And I just never had the numbers. And finally, you know, we, we got there, but it's hard. It was really, really, it's really hard. And it's funny. It's like the second I held Santi, like I forgot about it all. Not in a way that like, I don't acknowledge the struggle and the journey and the pain, but like 
none of it it didn't mean it didn't define me anymore it was, like, it was a healing tool. Like that's, it, it heals yeah. you. It starts yeah. to heal. It starts to heal. And like, even now, you know, like he's 21 days old. So he's three weeks old on Monday. And my husband's like, you're so tired. You're sleep deprived. And you know, like you're, you're an incredible mom. And like, I love seeing you in this role. <clears throat> and he said, but Lil, like, you've got to take care of yourself. And I said, Patrick, like every minute that I spend with this baby, like feeding him, changing him, holding him, sleeping with him, like he's healing me. Like he's healing me from six years of trauma and loss, like painful loss that like, I couldn't even acknowledge. Like I talked to my therapist about this. Like I didn't even have the ability to allow that loss to, to feel that loss because I don't think I would have ever come out of it. Like, I really don't think like, because we talk about miscarriages loss all the time, but I think that women that are going through IVF, for whatever reason, we're not allowed to feel that same grief and loss as we lose our embryos, as we lose our transfers, as we lose these eggs. And I'm sorry, like every embryo that I lost in six years, that was a baby that my husband and I made. That was the opportunity for us to become parents. And in IVF, I find that like, you got to bury that shit because you got to like get back on the horse the next day and like ride again. And that adds up and you think that you're moving through it. You're not, it's living inside of you. And this little baby, like every time I nurse him, I'm just like, oh my God, I feel better. Like he is healing me, not just like physically because I'm nursing and there's so many advantages to that. Like when you've had a baby, but like, he's just healing me emotionally. It's, 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 a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. And, and people said that I would feel that way, but I was like, no, God, no, of course not. And it's, it's true. It's really true. I don't think anyone really does prepare you for the heartbreak that comes with the losses of the embryos or the failed transfers, because you physically feel like a part of you has died and, and yeah. nobody gets it unless you are actually going through it. Correct. Um, and it's such a stigma. Such a stigma. And again, it's like, I think we, it's baby steps, right? Like we're just now, I think as women and, and as a culture, really understanding what a trauma it is for, for women to go through miscarriages and how often it happens to us and how infrequently we discuss it. And like, now we're starting to see women talking about it very openly and, and helping each other and healing. But I think the next step to that is like, what about all of the women that are losing these embryos? Like, it, it's like, you have to acknowledge that there's so much loss through IVF and we are broken because of it. And you have to create opportunity and space and community to heal that because it's not good to care. I know it hasn't been good for me to carry that for six years. Like that's debilitating, right? There's so many times where like, I just feel so broken because like, I think back and I'm like, well, what, ha what happened to him or her? Like, where is that? You know? And it, we need to really destigmatize that and really acknowledge the loss that happened in IVF, not just the science behind it. Because I think we're so focused on the science and like, oh, like we can make an embryo and implant. And if it doesn't take, oh, it doesn't take. Like, that's just not, it's not how yeah. it works. No, it's a little bit beyond you know? that. And there's also that, that Latina stereotype, right? That has been put upon us that we can just have magically a million babies. Um, totally. And, and it's not fair either because statistics say otherwise. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, Especially as like, you know, I think the longer I think for us, like what's amazing is I'm seeing so many younger Latinas put family planning on hold because they're like, no, I'm going to start my own business or no, I'm going to go get my master's degree or like, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to travel the world. 
that's incredible. But I always say, listen, those things come at a cost and you just have to be aware of the cost, right? I'm not telling you don't do it. Don't, don't act on the transaction. You just have to understand that. And I think it's important that our community understands that like, we're going to put things on hold because we're prioritizing ourselves. Like we are changing generationally. And that's really important. Like for so think about the sacrifices that your grandmothers made, right? Think about the sacrifices that our moms made so that we would have the opportunity to say, no, you know what? I am going to get a master's degree or like, no, I'm going to start my, or you know what? I don't want to get married. I'm not interested. You know, all of those things, those are all privileges that we've earned because our grandmas and our moms worked so hard to give us those choices and those opportunities. But at the same time, the longer we delay it, well, you have to understand there's a cost there, right? Like you might not have the same ease at getting pregnant. It might be harder for you. And luckily there are tools. There's adoption, there's donor, there's IVF, there's IUI. There's a million options. Just be aware of those. You can freeze your eggs at 25 and not even think about it till you're 50. Who cares? You know what I mean? Um, but it's educating our community on the fact that if you want to do those things for yourself, girl, go do it. Um, but know that there's options on the other side, you know, and explore those options and educate yourself. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of the other side of the coin, but you both of you really give me a lot of hope because I'm, we're all 41, by the way. Um, and I don't have children and maybe I've blamed myself too. Like, man, may, maybe I chose my career first. Mm -hmm. Like I should have maybe really focused on like starting a family earlier. Um, but you know, I have to believe that God, you know, has a divine plan for my life and knows the desires of my heart. But it does give me hope to see like both of you really like, you know, uh, living that dream of being a mom because I want to be a mom too, you know, but I do agree with you, Liliana, that, you know, people do need to take into consideration like freezing the eggs. I wish I probably would have frozen my eggs er a lot earlier. I, you know, there's a misconception that it's super expensive. Sometimes, you know, if you work in the corporate, corporate, um, you know, business or, any, or you're working for a corporation, they even offer you like great plans to like, um, freeze your eggs. So I think that's important also to kind of plan those things. I wish maybe I would have been a little bit more um, hands on with those things. But I mean, it's good to know that there's other options. I'm not saying I haven't even checked to see if like I have any issues or anything. But 41 to the new 31, maybe? Yeah. Or, but, <laughs> but that's 100%. the beauty of it. What are you I, I'm yeah. 30. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I feel like I'm 22. That's how irresponsible I feel. Uh, but yes, no, I think I, I agree with you. And it's like, listen, it's just, an, it's, it's all about education, right? It, it's advocating for your own health, um, finding health partners that can help you in that advocacy, um, talking about it openly, creating resources for people um, to get that education in both English and Spanish. Um, it, it's, that's, that's all it is because I think the more awareness you create around this, like if you, I didn't know what free, I didn't, I didn't talk about freezing eggs until one of my friends brought it up, like literally like 10 years ago. Like I was, I didn't even know about it. I, if I had known that I would have done that in my twenties. Why not? I was working at a bit. I was working, you know, like, like you said, if you're working at a company that has good health insurance, oftentimes they cover it now, but you, you gotta ask, no one's going to give you something you don't ask for. True. But that's, yeah, that's the part beauty of the of benefits it. though. Yeah, that that Gabby, you say you, you're saying that you wouldn't have known, you know, but hearing these stories is that, you know, it's a education is power. And my hope is that somebody listening to this episode knows that there are options out there. So I, I yeah, it, it's been it's been a struggle. And nobody also talks about once you do find out that you're finally pregnant, that 
fear to feel joy until that baby is here because we've been programmed and, and, and so afraid of not being able to get pregnant that the whole entire pregnancy you feel, am I going to lose this baby? Is this going to be the last day that I'm going to get to carry the baby? And every time that you go to the bathroom, you think about it. And every time that you wake up, you think about it. And, and it's, it's a struggle that, that lasts a pretty long time. And no one talks about that either. And that's no scary. Even other women who are pregnant, who maybe didn't have the same struggle um, or journey that you had through IVF, you know, you, you start to express that fear or, or, or that joy is missing from your conversations with them. They're like, I don't understand. Like, why aren't you happy? You're pregnant. You're finally pregnant. You know, it's like, okay, yes, but you have to understand everything that comes with this pregnancy. It's not just about getting pregnant and magically you forget everything that happened. You carry, it's what I said, you carry that trauma with you, right? You carry that anxiety. You carry those fears. I mean, I was in my first trimester, I don't think I ever had a day where I wasn't like crying or angry or upset um, because it was all anxiety and it was all fear. And that's how it manifested in tears for me. Like I started seeing a therapist in my second trimester um, to talk about that stuff. And it was the best thing that I did because she really helped me move past that fear and that anxiety. And I'm not saying that there were days when like it wasn't really hard, but it, it helped me understand it a little bit better. And it also helped prepare me, I think, for the transition from being pregnant to being a mom. And I always say like, there's this piece missing there, there. There's all this education and all this preparation that happens around the baby. You take your Lamaze classes, you take like all of your natural birthing classes, you take your CPR classes, but like who is taking care of you emotionally? Like where is that maternal wellness piece? Because we don't talk about that. And I would say you got to prepare for the fourth trimester more than you prepare for the birth and the delivery of your child, because that's when things really start to shift and change, not just physiologically, not just hormonally, but environmentally, physically, all of it. And so I'm such an advocate for women seeing and finding help. You know, even if it's via Zoom, there's so many options now to really get your mental health in check and and, and really help yourself through that because the transitions are really hard. Like I'll tell you this, these first three weeks, Oh my God, I, I've cried more in three weeks than I think I have in like the last three years. I, I I sometimes I don't even recognize myself. Sometimes I like hate my husband. Like I literally am so emotional about everything. And it's just, it's a lot. But I will tell you this, having somebody that I can go to, having a therapist that I've built a trust and relationship with since my second trimester is so liberating and it feels so good. And it is like the best hour of my week because I can just get it all out and work through it. And I have so many questions. And sometimes I don't feel like I can go to other moms with these questions because nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to be like, oh, it's okay to like not like this one day. And it's okay to like be angry about that. And not every moment of having a newborn is filled with like joy and love. It is fucking hard, y'all. It is so hard. And it's like the pregnancy thing. Nobody gives you permission to feel anything other than really positive feelings. And if you don't have really positive feelings about every moment that you are with your child or that you are pregnant, then like people are like, oh, is everything okay? You're like, yes, everything. This is exactly how you should. All of this is normal. So let's like normalize the fact that, that we don't all have to feel joy and love at every waking moment when you have a newborn or a baby or you're pregnant. You can feel all of the feelings. They are all valid. That is all I'm here to say. They are plus, all valid. Plus, I mean, you guys are going through a lot of hormonal changes still. So there is no way to just be like, 
you know, obviously you're going to go up and down and go through I'm all this feeling. I'm, I, I'm like, I, drew, I like drew out how my emotions feel. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that shape is, but that's how I feel. And then you're still filled with so much doubt. Am I doing a good job? Oh my God, is he okay? Is he breathing? Uh, like all of those things. I, I know I'm going to be that way as well. I'm already, yeah, I'm already that way with like my nieces and nephews. So imagine my kids. <laughs> the last like month of my pregnancy, I would have this nightmare. So my husband has type one diabetes and he wears um, like a monitor in his arm that tests his blood sugar and it automatically does it. And when it gets low or high, it, it dings his phone. It's an alarm that rings on my phone and his phone because we need to know, right? When he needs to wake up and, and drink orange juice or he needs to take an insulin shot. And so that is technology that's in, present in my life. For some reason, that got into my head like the last month of my pregnancy, and I was having this recurring nightmare that my baby, that my arm had that, that same sensor, and that would go off, and it would tell me that my baby wasn't breathing, and I would wake up in a panic in the middle of the night, and it wasn't real. It was a night. It was a nightmare that I was having, but I had it for a month. All of this anxiety. The baby wasn't kicking. I would do a kick test, right? You do the kick test. You're like, oh my god, it's been 20 minutes, and I've only felt two kicks. And I would wake my husband up and he'd be like, "Lil, it's okay. I don't understand. Like what, what's going on? And I'm, he's like, why, what's happening? I'm like, I don't know. It's just, it, this is happening. Well, now he wait. now that the baby's here, he wakes up because he's so used to having the baby on his chest or holding him. Cause we're like actively taking care of this newborn 24 hours a day. He'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, the baby. And I'm like, you see what I mean? It's real. <laughs> and he was like, how did you do this? And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's real. It's real. Now he finally feels it because he ha now he can see the baby and hold the baby. He wasn't connected to the baby in that way, but that anxiety is, is, is real. And I did, I was not prepared for it. Thank God I had a therapist that was like, that is completely normal. You are fine. You know, I'm glad we're talking about this too, from a perspective of like me just listening to what you guys went through, because it's also, I, I had no clue, Alex, you were going through all of this. Like I knew you were going through like, the process and it was difficult but just like how debilitating it can get emotionally it's good to know just even as a friend or as a family member how you can support someone going through IVF because it's really you know draining mentally emotionally and I, I had no clue that it was that much you know yeah so I commend you for opening up to this in this episode I know you know it was tough obviously but just the day-to-day -day emotion that you guys are sharing, it's a lot. So I'm so grateful that you are opening up because like we said, this podcast is about service and how we can help others. And whoever's listening, if you have someone, a friend, a family member, maybe you're not going through IVF, but you know, these people really need support and, and your understanding. And then some days are not going to be good. Some Most days won't be good, right? So, yeah. so it's good to see that perspective as well. Um, there's also that whole, um, the thing with that people do, right? That the second you get married or the second that you're in, uh, like you've been married for a year, they start asking the question of, um, why aren't you pregnant yet? When are you guys having kids? And I don't think people really realize how hurtful a, a question like that can sometimes be. And I just, I, I want to just put it out there because I know that it really affects someone that's struggling. You don't know the struggle that somebody's going through in order to have a family. So people just need to be um, nicer and more aware of the things that people they need say. to mind. That's what I I was trying to be business. nice about it. <laughs> yeah. No, mind your business. It's like you know, it's so funny to me. I always say, like culturally, it's like they always ask, and like 
do I ask you like what you're doing in your bedroom just on a regular basis? Like if I'm not asking you that, like, why are you asking me really personal private questions about like having sex to have a baby? Like it's so inappropriate. And it's so funny to me because I remember when I was going, when I first started going through this, I remember asking my mom about like miscarriage. I was like, did you ever miscarry? And she was like, you know, we had a really honest conversation about it. And I was like, well, you know, I want to ask like your sister, she's one of seven girls. And she was like, I mean, no. And I was like, well, your sisters have asked me a hundred times when I'm having a baby. So like, why can't I ask them? Like if here's the thing, if we're going to ask those questions and like, we need to open it up all up, right? Like we need to talk about all of that stuff. Um, You can't like cherry pick what is okay to ask and what isn't okay to ask. Boundaries are important and (laughs) Latinos don't have them at all. All the time. (laughs) So I will say if you are the person in your family setting healthy boundaries for yourself, keep at it. It's so hard. It's so hard. Um, But it is important. Um, It doesn't exist. And people think that like you're shut off or you're closed off. I know my family has described me like that a million times. Oh, well, like whatever. She's like, she's closed off. She doesn't want to talk about this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm setting healthy boundaries for myself. Like these are things that I'm not comfortable sharing with you. These are things about my relationship or my marriage or my life or my career that like you don't necessarily need to be involved with. You don't need to know about it. Um, But I will say that it's incredible how bold people can be with those questions and you know think about it don't th- it, it's not easy for people to get pregnant and and you know the statistics you know that when a woman reaches a certain age her fertility declines like this it's literally like jumping off a cliff so if you're asking a woman over the age of 32 or 34 why they haven't had a baby yet chances are they probably want to have a baby they probably do want to be parents and it's just not happening for them. So just don't ask the question, ask them something else. Ask them like, what's your dream vacation? Get to know, you know what I mean? It's like, there's such better questions that we can all ask each other um, as opposed to like, oh, what are you guys having a baby? Or when are you having your second? Like you just, ha- I just had a baby three weeks ago, you know? And then it's, it's, it's God, these people, man. <laughs> so um, let's, um, I have a question. So let's talk about, yeah. like, for, for instance, I want to obviously become a mom soon. First of all, I got to find the baby daddy first. So we got to work on that. But, um, but I'm like, by the way, as somebody that has a baby daddy right now, some, there's some days when I wish I didn't have a baby daddy and I could just like parent as an individual and like not have him. I love him. But like, let me just tell you, okay. Like, <laughs> I don't care. You know, I, he can listen to this all he wants. He knows this. Um, some days you're just like, I'm going to kill you. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So it's important or, to pick the right baby daddy. <laughs> or I'm going to remove you from the house. I need you to go to a hotel and leave me and this baby alone here because like, we're not going to, we're not, both of us are going to make it out alive. Like Sandy's going to have one parent. So, <laughs> oh, I feel uh, you. A hundred percent. That is real. So do you need a baby daddy? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no. Well, I, oh yes, true. I don't need a baby no. daddy per no. se. Per se, exactly. But I mean, I would like to have a baby daddy. But either way, <laughs> either way. Um, okay, so the first step is for me to go to my gyno, right? And yes. have him do this AMH. 
Yes. So okay. here's the great thing. So here's okay. the great thing about the AMH test. You don't even have to go to the gynecologist to do it. You can actually get that done, like at I think a Quest Labs because it's a blood draw, um, and so you just need to request it. Most insurance plans will cover it. Um, out of pocket, it's not terribly expensive, but you could do it with your gynecologist. They might actually send you to an outside lab. Not every gynecological practice will run those tests in house. Um, but the best thing that you could really do is do a full panel of blood work because AMH is just one of the tests. Um, it's an easy one. So if it comes back normal, you probably are, are okay. Um, but it's a series of tests. So it's AMH, it's LH, it's FSH that all triangulate to create a real insight and window into your fertility assessment. Um, a place that you could go do something like this is Kind Body. I actually partnered with them when I first started speaking out about infertility. Um, they have clinics in pretty much every major city in the country, um, and they are really focused on making reproductive health very accessible and affordable for all communities, specifically communities of color. Um, and they also have great free educational resources, forums, they do Instagram lives, they have videos that you can watch to really educate yourself. Um, so Kind Body is an incredible resource, I think, for young women or for any woman who's like, okay, I think I'm gonna go take this first step. Um, not only will they help you with the testing, but if your test comes back and it is low, then they have options there. You can do, you can freeze your eggs with them. You can go see a fertility specialist through them. Um, so it really is an all-in-one place where you can really get a lot of valuable information and education about your reproductive health. Um, but yeah, the first step is just to go take the test. You know, and at your yearly, ask your gynecologist to run it. And if she can't run it, ask for a referral to um, a lab that actually can run it for you. I love it. I have it here. So, but kind body is a good option as well. I love that they're doing that because yeah. sometimes it's like, where do I start? What yeah. should I be doing? Um, yeah, it's overwhelming. And like mm -hmm. sometimes the internet, listen, I love the internet, but sometimes it's like too much information. And if you type in like IVF infertility, forget it. Like you're going to be like, I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this. Um, so yeah, sometimes keep it simple. Like, you know, you're going in for your yearly, ask your gynecologist, say, Hey, listen, I may not be ready to have a baby now, but I just wanted a window into my fertility. What's going on inside? Because like I said, you cannot see infertility. You can be the healthiest person on the planet. Your sister could have had 10 babies. Your mama could have had 10 babies. It does not matter. It is individualized. There's no way to see it unless you get these tests done. Also, do you think that nutrition and like obviously maintaining like a healthy lifestyle also helps or it does not okay, it, does this it go hand in hand or no? Okay, so this is this is a difficult question. There's so many schools of thought. Um, as somebody who went through this for many years, and Alex, maybe you can also jump in here. There were different cycles when I was like my healthiest, most like like most divine human person, right? I was meditating, I was doing acupuncture, I was eating the the foods, I did the fertility diet, I drank the herbs, um, I did I, I, my feet never touched the ground. I always wore socks, like. I did everything. I didn't eat out of plastic. I mean, there are so many things that you can do, right? I didn't get pregnant. Okay. Then COVID came. I was drinking Coca-Cola. I was eating Pizza Hut and I got pregnant. So I don't know. Is there a correlation to making better lifestyle decisions and being a healthier human being? Absolutely. Is it the be all end all? And it is, is it a cure to infertility? Absolutely not. Um, if it makes you feel better and it gives you peace of mind, then by all means, do it. 
But if ordering Pizza Hut and drinking a Pepsi gives you peace of mind and a moment of sanity, then do it. You just have to know what feels good for you in that moment. So it's a it's a loaded question because there are people that are like, no, if you follow this diet and you work out this much and you drink these herbs, it will work. I did all of those things for six years. It didn't work. Something about me was not aligning with that. And I think for me, it there was an emotional component that was mm-hmm, missing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's so taxing to do all of the things and you're so stressed about doing all of the things. And you're like, I'm not eating refined sugar. I'm not eating gluten. Like, you just need to relax. Like you just need to live your life and like exist and be. And like when you are emotionally ready to like carry this baby, whether it's your embryo or it's a donor, whatever it is, like you'll receive it. And that's, you just have to be open to receiving it. So it's a surrendering. Yeah. Surrender. It's the surrender. Um, So whatever makes you feel good. If you feel like Doing those things is going to make you better and allow you to get into that space where you're ready to receive this miracle. Then do it. But I don't think it. That I don't think there's one right way or wrong way to approach it from like a health perspective. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I had you know? the same experience as well. It was it was. A, I went to very, three different doctors before I landed on the final doctor that I ended up. Um, getting pregnant with. And the first, they all have different paths into getting you pregnant. The first one was very heavy on vitamins and supplements and um, eating a certain way. The second one didn't really care too much about anything, but I didn't feel a connection. And then the third one was a surrender type. Just you got to go with the flow. You got to relax. You have to just not think about it so much. Don't obsess over it. And it's like what Liliana says, once you surrender, that's when things happen. Yeah. So. And it's really hard to do that. And it's really hard to do it for, you know, women like us. It's, it, it, it's not a skill that comes easily. It, it, it's not behavior that is natural to, to us, right? We are doers. We like put something on a vision board and you're like, yep, I'm going to make that happen. You cannot make life happen. It doesn't work that way. It is a gift from God and it is a miracle. And that is truly what I believe. Um, and so it's on my vision board, but I couldn't make it happen. It's just not, it, it, it's it's not my place to make that happen. So it, there is so much power in, in just surrendering and it's, it's hard to do it. And it's one of the best lessons I think I learned in this journey is that there are just things that you cannot control and you just have to let it go and like live in the moment and let it be. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And if it's not, then it's just, it's it's not, you know? But you could still be a mom and figure it out in other ways. So, and you love that baby just the same. Oh my God! I know. I there were. I remember there were times when we were exploring other opportunities. We explored donor. We explored adoption. And I remember I was like, "But it's not my baby." I went through all these feelings. It's complicated. And you you have to though. You have to go through them. You have to. And I remember my husband said, "If somebody put a baby on this doorstep tomorrow morning." Is that your baby? And I said, absolutely. Yeah. He's like, right. Shoot, I, I think some of my friends' babies are my babies. So. <laughs> <laughs> they probably are. They are. They are. They are. It's just, it's, again, it's like motherhood doesn't come from getting pregnant. Motherhood doesn't come from pushing a baby out of you. Those are like, it's just not, you know, is, is it part of the journey? Yeah, of course. Um, but is it the same for everyone? No, that's just not what makes you a mom. It's not what makes you a parent at all. It's like. 
it's like so it's not even doesn't even register on the scale of what it means to be a mother or to be a parent. This is such a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you um, coming on the show to talk about all of this and hopefully like our listeners, you know, um, get inspired and also we can break that stigma. Let's talk about it. You know, let's yeah. really be open. And I'm so proud of you, Alex. Thank you, you did it. I know it's so important. I'm so it's it's so hard, and I know what it's like to keep that inside for so long. And there's so much power in that release. So you're so brave for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. So tell us about Baby Santi, because I'm dying to know. I like want to. I like. Um, I want to go get him, y'all. He is big. Like he. Yes, he has an insatiable appetite. I feel like I am like a 24-hour Sizzler buffet in this house. (laughs) Um, which is fine. Um, but yeah, um, I, uh, it's funny, everything that I thought I would be, or like all of these things and lists and like, I don't know, all the stupid shit that I thought would happen after I had him. It's like all out the window. I don't even know. Like, I don't even, sometimes I don't even recognize myself, but he's incredible. You know, um, he was born on July 19th. Um, I had a C-section and I talk about that very openly because, there was a lot of, for me, there's a lot of fear and anxiety about a vaginal birth um, forever before I even got pregnant. Like just, it, it was something that I just really, it wasn't something that appealed to me. It wasn't something that I would feel really confident about. I was actually terrified. Like I would break down into tears about it. And um, I talked very openly with my OBGYN about that. And she said, listen, like, it is 2021 and you are 41 years old and you have the ability to make whatever choice feels right for you. Um, the only thing that I care about is that you and the baby are healthy and happy. And that is it. However, that baby comes into the world. That is your decision to make. You and your husband can talk about it. You tell me I fully support you. Um, so baby Santi was born via C-section. Um, and the one thing that was really important to me was something called a gentle cesarean, um, which is very common and a lot more practiced in the UK and in Europe. But um, a lot of the things that come with natural births and, and vaginal births are delayed cord clamping, right? Skin to skin. And oftentimes with C-sections, we're missing those things because it is a surgery. It's in the OR, take the baby out, they weigh the baby, they do all the things. Sometimes you don't get the baby back until you're rolled out into recovery. Um, and so I had a gentle, what, I, what they call a gentle cesarean. Um, it was beautiful. Santi came out and within like literally 15 seconds, he was on my chest. Um, as they were sewing me closed and up and putting everything back, Santi was on me. Um, and I want women to really know that like, however your baby comes into the world is the perfect way. But I didn't even know this was an option until I started doing so much research. So there was a curtain, my doctor's on the other side being like, I'm putting you back together. You look great. I didn't even hear it. I didn't even care. My baby was on my chest for the full time. They literally like they rolled me out with him. It it was beautiful. And the first five days post C-section recovery were brutal. Like brutal. Um, I don't think I realized how major of a surgery this was. And the hardest part about it was not that like, I can barely pee by myself, which was really hard. The hardest part was that when you have a C-section, you are limited in your caretaking of your child. Um, You cannot bend over, you cannot change a diaper. um, And you can't provide those basic things for him or her. You can nurse the baby, which is beautiful and wonderful. I think it's why I 
love breastfeeding is because it's the one thing that I could do for him that like was really important. But I think it was hard. Those first five days were hard. I mean, the last three weeks have been really hard. You don't sleep. Um, and it's all worth it. It's like, it doesn't even, doesn't even matter. Um, and you know, somebody said to me, you have to remember with all of these things, it's very temporary, right? Like he's only going to be this little for this short amount of time. So while it feels like, oh my God, I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to shower. I'm never going to sleep. I'm never going to eat again. It's just not true. And so you have to just take it day by day. I take it feed by feed, to be totally honest with you. Some feeds are good. Some feeds are bad. Um, but I never, I, I'm trying to not set expectations for him or for myself in how I parent in this first like month to two months, because every day is different. It's like with a newborn, you have a new baby every day. It's it, that's how fast they're growing and how fast they're developing. And I feel like nobody told me that. And so finally somebody, when they said it, I was like, you're right. I have a new baby every day that I get to know every day because they're just changing constantly. Um, and it'll never happen again. So I want to be really present for him. Um, and I want to really like just take away any, like anytime I start to feel like anxious or sad, like I, I watch so many women share their breastfeeding stories and there's like so much stress and so much anxiety. I'm like, listen, girl, just feed your baby. You know, like it doesn't matter how you do it. Um, but it's been, in, it's been incredible. He is, he's my little teacher, you know? Um, I know I'm supposed to be his teacher, but I feel like the roles are reversed and he's here to like teach me all of the things that I couldn't find on my own. So I'm really excited. Mm, I could tell. You're, you're like getting emotional about it. And I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it changes he's, he's, your whole life. He's, he's so special and he's such a good baby. I don't know what I did to deserve such like a beautiful little angelito in my life. I just, I can't believe that I get to keep him. Like, I'm like, is someone going to come take him from like, is he, is he really our, like, does he really belong to us? Like I get to have him for the rest of my life. Like it's, it's it's truly the greatest gift. And every every day just gets so much better. And they're ugh, they grow so fast and it's so beautiful I to know. watch them grow. And the things that they do from one day to the next, it's unbelievable. I know, it's crazy. And like little things like today I was nursing him right before I came on with you guys. And um he like had his head he was finished and he had his head here and he tucked his little hand into like my nightgown. <laughs> I literally wanted to die. I like didn't want to move him because I was like God, he like tucked his hand into my like it's so stupid like so I sound cute. ridiculous I sound oh. I sound like a ridiculous person that's oh that's the other thing I don't even recognize myself like who am I like literally I was like moved to tears because this like little tiny human tucked his little fingers into my nightgown and like all of the feels like it was like the serotonin just like released yes. in my body and I was like I don't want to move it's, you're just you become a different person it's it's in my, like I said they're your little teachers they just like they're they're here to guide us and make us better people well Alex totally changed she was like I not was, into kids no. I didn't want kids until I found out I couldn't have any kids and then I was like sure. I want kids <laughs> I I am so much of a softie now like before I, I would never cry for anything now I watch Frozen with my daughter and I am crying and like I'm so compassionate now. It's so weird. I don't recognize myself either, but I'm a bad, I'm a better version of myself, which is right. amazing. So I know it's like you think, especially when you have children later in life, I think that, you know, you're like, I'm a fully formed human. I'm a 40 year old badass woman. I know who I am. I know what my values are. I know what I do in this situation. I know what I don't do. These are my boundaries. Like 
I had lists, y'all, lists, like list after list. These are my rules. This is who I am. And then I had a baby. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's incredible. They just shift everything inside you um, in the best possible way. But I do think, you know, one thing I've noticed is like, you do have to, there's also a loss of that person, right? That you have to process to be like, it's not a bad, it's not a bad loss. It's just a loss. Like I'm not that person anymore, you know? And it's important to acknowledge that shift and that transition in, in, in who you are emotionally and how you present to the world. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty special. He's, um, God, he's just, he's beautiful. He's really beautiful. Yeah. He is. He I mean, is. You grow, you grow with that baby. Um, yeah, for sure. Liliana, what's next for you? Ooh, um, what's next? So I think next for me is finding, and I hate the word balance because I'm not going to find that. That's just like not, ex- it's not going to exist. It, it, it's finding my existence professionally and, and, and personally, right? It, it's it's navigating how I want to be present for my family and how I want to be present for, for my child and present for myself, by the way, also important, um, and how to do those things all together. Um, I think also for me, you know, I want to continue to build my personal brand. I love being at E and I love my, I I love my coworkers and I love the shows, but I think the industry is changing every day. Um, You know, I always say like, you know, TV is, is something that we're not going to have in the traditional sense in the coming years. So it's always evolving and changing and growing with what's happening out there. We're living in this kind of like, Um, me TV creator phase right now, which I think is awesome. There's so much opportunity um, for all of us. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've checked off so many bucket list things when it comes to this career. Um, I know that this is going to evolve. I would love to tell more stories that don't involve me in front of the camera. Um, That's something that I'm working on now. I think for me, I love producing and I love writing and for so long I've been like scared to say that and I'm like but that's what I do every day I produce and write all of my own shit so like why am I afraid to like shift roles and say oh no I want to be a producer and I want to be a writer um I'm already doing it um so I really want to start exploring opportunities in that space it's scary um because it's new but it's also really exciting um and I think that it'll allow me to I think launch so many ideas um, that I can't as a host. Um, sometimes being like a host and a personality is very limiting because people only see you as that. Um, so I really want to work on my resume, building my skill set. Um, that's what I did during COVID. You know, like everything I produced for Peacock, I produced, directed, wrote everything myself. And I did that very strategically because I wanted to have that to show um, as I look for other opportunities that will enhance me as a writer and a producer. Um, so I think that's kind of what's next for me is working on, on some of that. And, you know, obviously I'm on maternity leave. I'm taking six to at least, I would say at least 16 weeks of maternity leave. I am not shy about that. Um, this is such a special time and it's only going to happen once. Um, so I'm taking it. Um, but I still need a creative outlet during that time. I need to feel like myself, even doing this podcast with you, you know what I mean? It's like, in that maternity leave, it doesn't mean I have to be like devoted and a slave to like being a mom. And like, like in that time, I want to also find space for myself. So I'm going to write a lot. Um, I'm going to pitch a lot of ideas and we'll see where we end up like in the fall. I love it. Well, we, we wish you good luck. And I think, um, you have a really great way of telling stories. So we look forward to hearing more of those stories from you. Oh, thank you. Where can everyone find you? 
Oh yeah. So you guys, um, a couple of places. So obviously my website's lilianavasquez.com and that is where my blog lives. Um, I love my blog. I had like a little falling out with the, I was, I had a falling out where like, I like ignored the, my baby for like two years. We're back y'all. We are back. <laughs> um, it's like deep dives. It's everything. Um, I always say it's, it's how to live your most stylish life effortlessly. So it's called the LV guide, but you can just find it on lilianavasquez.com and then Instagram. Um, that is where I share every single day. I love it. I think it's, it's an awesome community that I've built there. So many Latinas follow me and send me like the sweetest messages. And I try to make myself as available as I can in the DMs um, to inspire, have conversations, communicate and, and share my story. You know, I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me just via a DM, like Alex, like your story, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's awesome. So yeah, Instagram, I'm just at Liliana Vasquez. Perfect. Great conversation. Loved it. Loved it. I feel like it was truly what we all needed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank for you sure. so much thank for sharing your story. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you guys so much for having me. And big kiss and hug to Santi. Yes. We, I know, hope, to, we hope to one day meet you and hopefully go to LA soon because you're in LA, right? Yeah, I'm in LA mm-hmm. for now. Um, we're going to go back to New York for like, I don't know, maybe like a month or so mm-hmm. in the fall and then back. We're kind of, we're trying out this like bi-coastal life while he's still really little and doesn't have to be in school. But where are you guys? Miami and West Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in Florida. So yeah, yeah, so let me know if you're ever in LA. Um, I'd love to like grab lunch, grab dinner. Yeah. Um, I think by that time I'll be done breastfeeding so I can grab lots of drinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you I so am much. Missing, I am missing margaritas. You have no idea. Soon, soon. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to be a mark. It's going to be a pitcher. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, guys. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much. Thank you. you. Thank you, Bye. everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Till next time. Bye. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.